Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to day one of the four days of Christmas. Yes, there might be 12, but for Game of Crimes, we're doing the four days of Christmas. This week and next week, we're giving you some free episodes from our normally exclusive and premium site, Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. So in honor of this coming out on Christmas, Murph and I do the Narcometer review of the greatest Christmas movie ever made. You know it, I know it, it's Die Hard. And for this, we have our special guest. He came to us from episode 25, Rick Masso, LAPD SWAT, one of the officers who responded to the North Hollywood shootout. He joins us to do an expert dissection and analysis of the tactics and techniques used by LAPD SWAT in the movie Die Hard. You're going to hear what we think about it, but more importantly, you're going to hear what Rick thinks about it. So day one of the four days of Christmas, we'll have two episodes this week, two episodes next week. All of these are free because it's Christmas and because Murph and I decided to take the week off. So everybody enjoy and remember, join us at patreon.com slash game of crimes. Now get ready to hear about the greatest Christmas movie ever made. You know it. I know it. Say it with me. Die hard. Well, Merry Christmas. I love this stuff. Don't you just love that music, that whole thing your buddy did for us? Isn't that oh, yeah. fantastic? Oh, yeah. That's, I love that song. It just gets your heart beating, doesn't it? Yo, and guess what, guys? We are live. Yeah, we're already getting some comments back. Uh, Johnny Redcorn said, yo. Or I said, yo, back to him. He said, hello, Murph and Morgan. So, Johnny, how you doing there? Thanks um, for joining us. Hey, guys. Yes, we kind of we went all out, or at least I went all out. Murph, Murph bought a red shirt. That's <laughs> hey, not even it's red. It's not a free shirt. I actually paid for this one. It looks like it's looks like it's orange. Hey, there's Jackie. <laughs> Jackie, Merry Christmas, Kathy. Oh, Kathy from Canada. Canada, eh? Can't spell Canada without a C A N A D A. Merry hey. Christmas, eh? But you see, I have the man. I have the fat man. Let me give my finger in the right place. Where the heck is it? Right there. there Stop. Right there. <laughs> There he is. By the way, I did dress up for this. It's my best hat. <laughs> now, I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, yeah, but it has no bullets. So not to worry, anybody. I have bullets. I have bullets. Trust me, I've got bullets. Hey, but anyway, everybody, we want to thank you. This is, we've been planning this one for a while. Look, this, the whole reason this got started, first of all, Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie ever made, but we made a tactical error back, I think it was in July. We were doing our Nalcometer review, and we looked at this. There's Gavin, howdy from Texas. Heather, hey, Heather, how are you? Merry um, Christmas. Merry Christmas to y'all. So we were actually, we put this in one of three movies that we were going to review, and people were saying, now we should save this for Christmas. And we were like, you know what? That's right. Hang on a second. Um, so I'm going to assign somebody. I got a special guest for you. So you all just hang on. Hey, guys, I don't know what he's doing here. He won't tell me. I'm not sure what's going to show up here. We're all going to find out together. You're going to find out together. So, um, But he'll be with us in just a second. 
So hang on there. I know that you just joined in. Hang on, because I got a special surprise. So hey, but before we do this, guys, remember, this is a freebie. This is normally, we only do this for our folks on Patreon. So we want to tell you just a little real quick about Patreon and Game of Crimes on Patreon. Dot com. So let me show you a couple things here real quick. We want to say thank you guys for doing this. One of the other things you can see, though, here, too, is uh, we've got a 12-part series about Pablo Escobar that Steve and Murph are a part of. So you Who's all got to – what's that? Who's that? Pablo who? Pablo, it's, it's Pablo Steve, Steve Escobar. Pablo Escobar. Oh, uh, there you go. Hey, hey, spoiler. Pablo's dead. He gets killed. <laughs> he assumes room temperature. Hey, we're getting a bunch of people. There's Michelle uh, Tackaberry, not related to the guy from Police uh, uh, Academy. Lisa, how you doing out there? Kathy, uh, her guest is JP, making a podcaster. Hold on a second. I got, I'm got. i adding him in again. Hang on a second. One second. We'll get to you. Hold on. And then, uh, so guys, just remember, hey, just, and do this for us, but we got a bunch of stuff. We got 51 posts and counting monthly bonus video, random surprises. We do monthly live stream case of the month. We just did one of my cases. Murph actually even gave me a compliment. We did a great job on the homicide. It was a gang related homicide guy got run over with his car eight times. So just make sure you guys go over there. It's easy to find us. How do you find us? Just go right there. Patreon.com slash game of crimes. That's how you do it. So Hey Murph, John, I th- Johnny, I, I guess that too, Bruce Willis, but he told me no, so we'll see. We'll see we're not, too, but hey, he's he's if he he'll if he'll hang on a second, we're gonna pop him in right now. So let me bring in. You got to take your camera off there, dude. Can you hear me? Drum roll. Can you hear me? Yes, but your camera's not working. I know it. I got to try to figure that out. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, well, let me. Paul, you're even doing that, Murph. Have you figured out the voice yet? Uh, no, it sounds familiar. Hey, Chris. So I tell you what, let's do this. A, uh, RM just pop out real quick. Um, just close out the browser and come back in. We'll see if we can get your video working. Sounds good. All right. So we got Cheryl. There we go. Cheryl Whitlock. What's up? Hello from Seattle. All right. Woohoo. Alex, you finally made it. Congratulations there. Um, <laughs> Need some light there. Yeah, we're working on that with uh, the dude. Yes. Crystal Ann, hello. Hello to you, Crystal Ann. Hey, this is cool, too, because last time we did this with Dave Reichert on the Green River Killer, we did the way we set it up, it didn't allow for everybody to see the uh, stuff. So here we go. Let's try this again. All right. Audio. There we go. How's that? Well, you're a little, you're a little okay? dark. A little dark. Leave is this a guy, from, a friend of ours from uh, Boston? No, that just went out too, dude. I can see you, but the light's out. Hang on. Let me turn some light on. <laughs> You're going to see. Into a, I'm... Light behind the PC. Thank you, Michelle. You yeah. know what you're talking about. Well, we're, we'll get this working. There we go. There we go. So in this episode, where does this take place, Steve? You mean Die Hard? Yes. L.A. And who well, is our expert on? I have a test tonight. Now, come on now. Who is our expert on LAPD SWAT tactics? Oh, look at that! Now you, I'm slowly getting him into focus here. And they're out. Went out the light again. We'll figure it out with Rick. There oh, we there go. Look at that. <laughs> had to move into a different room, guys. So, if you guys remember, in our previous episodes, we just had Rick on two or three episodes ago. Rick was the legend, the man, the myth that was involved in the North Hollywood shootout. And I thought, who better to bring on to talk about the tactics 
of LAPD than the LAPD legend himself, the Food Network winner of the five cheese macaroni and cheese, <laughs> personal student of Wolfgang Puck. By the way, there is a reference in the movie to Wolfgang Puck. I caught it. And I'm going to tell yeah, you guys I about didn't catch it. That one. Oh yeah. So hey everybody, everybody welcome Rick Massa, retired Woo-hoo! LAPD SWAT. Woo! We're getting How a lot of messages. I, it's, hey Rick, can uh, you see my the pleasure to be here? The guys, thank you very much for uh, for asking me to uh, to join you on this. Yeah, hey, can you see the comments, Rick, that are coming across the screen there? Um, on the right side, where you may have to open up no, that side. I can't. That's you okay. A lot of good comments about you. you. Said your episode was outstanding. Yeah, they loved your episode, man. Yeah, oh, one of the guys too. Thank you very much. One of the guys, I think, a former Fed say, were they in WITSEC, which is witness uh, protection? So no, Rick, Rick is not in WITSEC. Rick just can't figure out how to operate a fucking light. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't figure out how to operate a computer. You kidding? Hey, Rick, I, but I do have well, a question. You know, for the funny is thing it... was is that our shootout was on a Friday. We went through uh, all the um, follow up and interviews on Saturday, and I ran the LA Marathon on Sunday. Why? <laughs> was it good? And it turned out to be my fastest. Hey, look who's there. Yeah, that's why he's so. Let's bring a little beauty to this podcast. That's right, man. Hey there. Hey. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I'm trying to fix this computer. It's hopeless. She's my she's my IT person. Probably is, I don't know what she says, but she's talking about computers. Oh. We understand, brother. Well, we finally so we finally got Rick in, which is good because we wanted to um, we wanted to show you guys a little bit of what was going on here, have a little bit of fun, lighten things up a little bit. But hey, one of the first things we want to do before we get into the movie, and this is an area both of you guys will specialize in. So I thought it would be fun. Let us go into and analyze all the weapons that have been used in Die Hard. So hey, look, at, look at this. Only you could come up with something like that. Yippee-ki-yay, <laughs> thy fornicator of motherhood. motherhood. One hopeth that is not a hostage. Yes. <laughs> Finally have a wife on the show. That's right, Jackie. So, uh, uh, I'm Jackie. I tried to get her again today. She's, she's still bucking on me. Yeah. Well, let's start off with this. One of the oh, – Rick's, Rick's getting undressed, guys. He's going to show his six-pack. Oh, there <laughs> – he's going <laughs> to – yeah. Now we got a porn show. Ah, you can't unsee that. I can't unsee that. All right. Oh, we didn't. We didn't agree to go topless on the show. Uh, you said I could do whatever I wanted, so I figured you know, that's true. You can. You're the man. You can do whatever you want. Within reason. Now you're oh. trying to figure out if I have pants on. <laughs> Turn the light off. It's California. And I have a saying about California that John McClain says. I will tell you here. It's in my notes here. Let's get back to the guns. (laughs) Let's get back to the guns. Beretta Model 92F actually was carried by John McClain. But the funny part was, though, my understanding was, is that New York City did not carry that as a duty weapon. So either John, which in his normal thing was going rogue, but uh, Beretta, I have the Beretta Model 96, which is a 40 caliber, but the Beretta Model 92 was the standard sidearm issue for the military. It beat out the Colt 1911. So it is a nine millimeter. Uh, That was also the the, uh, weapon that was issued when when LAPD Mm -hmm. went to uh, automatics. Semi-automatics, that is the uh, choice the department went with, was the Beretta 92F as an issued weapon to uh, uniformed police officers. That's well, a big, heavy gun. 
it is carries. I mean, carries fifteen. So uh, you know, fifteen in the magazine. But but I'll tell you what's a great gun. My model ninety six. It's a Centurion forty caliber, but still solid weapon. Great. I mean, right out of the box, you got target competition shooting. I think it's really good. This one's carried by John McLean. And actually, when we get into the notes, John, you'll see John on the plane in this shoulder holster saying, "It's okay, I'm a cop." And my first thought was, it was not that easy, even in the eighties, as a cop to board a plane with a gun. I mean. I had to go pick up prisoners, but still, we'll get into that in the notes in a second. So, this was also the gun that was carried by um, the pistol that was carried by uh, Larry uh, Larry Phillips that he uh, oh, oh yeah committing suicide with. Oh, yeah, because uh, Montesorano was the second was the guy that you three engaged, and right. Phillips was the one that killed himself on the way through. Yeah, so but those Berettas, man, sturdy weapons. Good gun. Good gun. Let's take a look at this one. This one is carried by Hans Gruber. This one is the Heckler & Koch P7, the M13. It is a 9mm, 13-round capacity. Now, the one thing is, you see Hans, he's you know screwing, unscrewing the silencer. Technically, if you get into the details, that one wasn't equipped. The one he had was not the real... Uh, a Heckler and Coke, the P7 is not equipped for a silencer. So, but it's again, it's it's Hollywood, right? You guys are right. familiar with Hollywood. You know, they just just they just do whatever they want. So well, he's familiar with North Hollywood, anyway, right? North Hollywood, yeah, right, Rick. Yeah, yeah, I worked Hollywood for a number of years. But you know what? Hey, that, like you said, that's Hollywood right there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Michelle, actually, I had a quick question. Didn't he take the gun out of his duffel bag? I think we're talking about Phillips, or is she misremembering? Did he? Did he have it? Uh, did he pull the uh, Beretta? Was that in a duffel bag, or did he have that strapped on him? He had that on him. Okay, he had that he on was, him when he was walking. When he was walking down uh, Archwood, he did not have a duffel bag with him. Okay, yeah, because they had some stuff in the trunk, but I think what he was getting out of the trunk, right, was the right. drum magazines and some of the other uh, rifles. Did right. you see Kathy's uh, comment on there? Literally I can't just see any, choked in I, my I don't dinner. See any of the comments. <laughs> I think when you well, pulled your shirt up, she started laughing and choking on her dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, dear. <laughs> hey, uh, we just had a question where you had a comment. They say somebody thought that uh, Rick and Murph were a little bit quieter than Morgan. Uh, but so we'll try and see if we can. Is. Yeah, well, that's the way it always is. Now I can see them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now you can see the comments. All right, now I can see. Them. All right, so let's go. To, let's go to the uh, next weapon here. So this one is actually a pretty fun one. This is the Walther PPK. By the way, the Heckler and Coke, also the PPK. They're also originated out of Germany. This is a 380 uh, magazine capacity of six. So, hey Rick, I, I I told Steve so he can't answer the question. Here's your piece of trivia. What does PPK stand for? Oh wow! You don't have to answer that, Rick. No, you got me on that one. It stands for Polizei Polizei Pistol Criminal. It actually, the criminal referred to criminal detectives in Germany. This was a gun actually designed for undercover carry or for uh, concealed carry by detectives in Germany. That's why that's where the PPK comes from. But uh, obviously, we see the Walther was who who made the Walther uh, famous. Bond. Walther. James Bond. Bond. Yeah, James Bond. James Bond. That's right. Let's take a look at this one. This one is the standard issue. This one, now this one we have to ask you about though, Rick, because Sergeant Al Powell is carrying the Smith & Wesson Model 15, which was able to carry what was called plus P loads, which was right. extra pressure. The 38s couldn't carry that, but the Model 15 could. Was this a standard issue before the uh, Beretta? Yes, yes, it was. Actually, that is the weapon that I have in my shadow box, the same weapon that was uh, that I was issued in 1971. Way before all of you were even a thought. Hey, I, I was, in, I was in grade school. I was in junior that. high Nobody at that time. That. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's a four inch. That's a nice gun. Ah, you know, when, 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 when Javier and I were in Bogota, I had a Model 15 snub. That was my ankle gun when we were up in Medellin working. And we just saw Miss Sherry Foster come in here. Thank you very much, Sherry. Yes, that Sherry. Guest By the way, Sherry, Sherry is our guest next week. You know what she did, Murph? Did you get that? She sent a gift box, which more guests should do, from Harry and David. I just got that today. So, Sherry, That's you are well. freaking awesome. Thank I can't you, believe lady. that. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Michelle was in um, kindergarten in 1971, yep, I, yes. I saw that. Hey, Gerald's <laughs> from Wisconsin. Hi from Wisconsin. Home of the Cheeseheads. All right, let's yeah. get into the next one here. Oh, I got to come back over to this screen to do that, though. All right, this one is the Walther P5. This one is the 9mm 8-round clip. Same kind of thing. It was designed for more undercover stuff, but this one is carried by Heinrich. You'll see Heinrich. Uh, spoiler alert, most of the terrorists get killed. Heinrich's one of them that gets killed, but this is a weapon that Heinrich carries. And you'll see part of what Heinrich does is uh, he is responsible for, um, I think, the uh, detonators and stuff like that. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, here's the interesting one, though, too. A lot of people see this, and a lot of people believe that this was the MP5, which I know used to carry Rick. However, though, in the movies, they took the Heckler & Koch HK94 and cut it down to make it look like an MP5. Why? Because an MP5 is capable of fully automatic fire, the HK94 was only capable of semi-automatic, so what they did is they cut the barrel down, they cut it down to make it look like an MP5, because this is the real, uh, let me get back to the screen here again, this is the real MP5 right there, so if you take a look at it, there's the, there's the movie one, there's the real one, and Rick, you probably carried that a few times, didn't you? That's uh, prior to the 1984 Olympics. We went to H&K, and they were able to provide us uh, with weapons, and this was our primary, this is our primary uh, shoulder weapon on all uh, CQB, close quarter battle, uh, all entries, because it was uh, so compact, and it was a uh, submachine gun. So it fired a subsonic round? Yep. Yeah. And, and but, the reason so here's we say the downside, that... Here's the, you know, it's a beautiful gun. Downside of it, it will not penetrate body armor. Because it's a nine millimeter, going a little yep. hotter, but still nine millimeter. Yep, nine millimeter parabellum subsonic rounds. Yep. Yeah, but it's, it's still it's. Uh, but if you can put enough lead on target, even if they have a vest on, that energy, the vest still absorbs the energy. Yeah. You yeah, know it, the impact. Sure. All right. Now, again, in the movies, this is the MGC sixteen. This is a replica gun, and one of the ways you can tell is a replica is you look at the pistol grip. I'll show you the real M16 in a second, which I actually qualified with, carried in the military. Rick, did you guys use also the real M16s? Yeah, at uh, North Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I had I had an M16, and the other two officers had Car 15s, which is just a collapsible stock M16. Okay, Not very very little uh, difference in the two. How about you, Murph? Did you carry any M16s in the DEA? We did. In Miami, that's what we had. That was before we came out with the Colt submachine guns. Okay. Because that is the real M16 right there. And one of the things that was neat about the M16, I, I'm right-handed. Uh, I shoot pistols with my right hand, but I'm left-eye dominant. But rifles and shotguns, I shoot as though I'm left-handed. And that was the one thing, at least about the M16, as well as the Breda, ambidextrous safety and selector. So I, no matter which side you were, the only bad part was when you shoot left-handed, 
the hot brass comes out of the M16 and it goes right down your collar. So either you had to get a brass deflector, yeah, or (laughs) there's a moment you'll never forget. Hey, check out Michelle's latest comment. Brass dance. Michelle. Michelle Tackerberry's husband said he is concerned about my learning so much about weaponry. Well, when hey, you know. You should you should have the right to defend yourself. Just but when you start practicing with targets that look like your husband, that's when he may worry. So just uh, keep them neutral. Keep them neutral. There you go. That's the That's the style. That's the style. That's Austrian. That is a five five six millimeter chambered for five five six thirty round clip. Now. Here's the interesting thing, too. A lot of people look at this. This is this is referred to as a bullpup, and the reason they call it a bullpup is if you take a look at where the pistol grip in the trigger is and that Ford handle, that's all that's all there is in front of that. It's just the barrel and stuff. All of the action is behind it in the M16 and the ones we were looking at earlier. When you looked at that, everything is in front of the trigger. So the this is called a bullpup design, which allowed it to be more compact, and that's why the magazine feeds into the, uh, the stock you know, there in the rear. But that is an awesome-looking weapon, the Austrian— Military started using it. Did you ever get a chance to, either one of you guys, ever get a chance to shoot one of the stars? Hmm. Saw it, but never fired one. How about you, Rick? Ever get a chance to fire one of no, those bad I boys? Have. Uh, that's an interesting gun. Very interesting. interesting. Gun. That one now, this one also is the uh, Steyr SSG-69. This is a sniper rifle. It has a unique configuration. It is chambered for 7.62, which is a NATO round, but it has a five-round rotary magazine or an optional 10 round magazine you can put in there but that rotary magazine you basically put the round in there and it just goes around basically like rotary so as it feeds it it feeds right. it kind of in a clockwise and pops it up so you could put five rounds and the movie they also had a, a starlight scope on it i believe it was a uh a, a pvs3 um starlight scopes really what they do is they use they just magnify the available light they don't have their own light source so what they do is that's why they were called starlight scopes they would take available light you know and magnify it uh, so you could see what was going on but that's what was on that here's the fun ones though i got to fire these in the army the m60 this one is the m60 e3 this one is capable of 650 rounds per minute belt fed fire 7.62 rounds however if you fire continuously for a hundred rounds, um, you're going to be replacing the barrel. <laughs> oh yeah, <clears throat> you know, in, in, in Bogota, we took the uh, the M16s out, and we had, uh, for whatever reason, our pilots had these hundred round clips, you know, the drum clips. And one guy took the M6 the M16 and fired a hundred rounds continuously through it. Had to throw the barrel away. Yeah, it says on this, too, when I was looking at the stats, it said that uh, the sustained fire capability is limited. Firing 100 rounds per minute requires a barrel change every five minutes. With 200 rounds per minute, a barrel change is required every two minutes. Marlon is late to the game. I'm sorry. You're late to the game. There is a penalty involved. I will send you an address to send beer to. All right. He signed up for Patreon, so leave him alone. Oh, well, hell, Dad, we'll send you a beer. All right. <laughs> a former U.S. probation officer from the District of Kansas. All right. Kansas City Division. That's go Kansas. Former state trooper oh, here. No. Yeah. Now, one one person from Kansas on the show at a time, please. That's all we can handle. Yeah, yeah. Hey, by the way, uh, Becky. Becky Parvin says, love you guys. To die for. Been listening from the beginning and started watching Narcos this week. All right. Just remember, they couldn't find anybody to play Murphy. So... Oh, I got I got to show you something. I'll, I'll, give me just a second. Oh no 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 no! Well, Rick already showed us something. I don't want to see that. On. Leave your shirt on. 
Well, while he's doing that, we'll finish up with the last firearm. It's the M. This one is the first one was the M60 E3. This one is the M60, and you can tell a difference in the, in basically in the bipod. And if you look at the pistol grip on the front of that, this M60 E3, you'd actually could pick up and hold and shoulder fire for a while. But then the M60, uh, that was basically bipod setup. So, Steve. What do you got? What do you got? I mean, you got a this you got a boner. What is it? A Christmas gift from Javier's wife Beverly. This is Steve Murphy from Narcos. It's looked like you could look at your action grip, though. I'm sorry. What are you grabbing with that action grip, Steve? Uh, well, it takes two hands, you know. That's what we're holding. That's it right here. He even has his own little nine millimeter. Oh my God. <laughs> You know what? See, though, he's got a bulletproof vest on. We never wore a vest. I had somebody. I had somebody send me one that's a uh, same thing. It's a SWAT cop. That, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> it's just right down to the right down to the detail. It's uh, sure. It's you see the resemblance? Yeah, he's got more hair though. Michelle was talking about that actually, and uh, Nicole Sullivan actually had a good question. She said, "Were all these guns used in Die Hard?" Yes, they were. Uh, the M60 were used by the Huey Gunner. The M60 E3 was used by Alexander, one of the terrorists. Uh, the Star was used by S.A. Johnson, what they called Big Johnson. The other guy was called Little Johnson. Uh, the Bullpup was done by Carl. Little Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why you have a little <laughs> – that's why you carried a four-inch, Steve. But um, bum, not, thank no, you very much. I'm not afraid yeah. to use it. That's right. That probably pops more often than you do now. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> let us get back to a little bit of fun. All right. So, hey, last thing before we get into talking about the movie. Let let us meet the gang that we are going to be talking about tonight. So this is I, – I went through – because I love doing this on Patreon and love doing this so much. I went through and accounted – we identified every single one so that we know where they are in the movie. We know who's getting whacked. We call them – the terrorists are called Tango. So if there's a Tango down, that means one terrorist down. So you've got Hans as the leader. Carl is his second in command. And Tony, uh, back in the back of Resky, is Carl's brother. You've got Franco, Christoph, Alexander, Marco, James, Fritz, Yuli, Theo, and Eddie. So you've got 13 tangos that are going to get started in this movie. So I say let's dig into the movie, right? You guys ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all? The game of crimes? Yeah, let's bring it on. All right. Couple quick pieces of trivia, Steve. I know you got a couple. Rick, you're just you're along for the ride, pal. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride here. We got some fun <laughs> stuff for you, though. Uh, this actually was adapted from a 1979 novel uh, by an American author called Roderick Thorpe, and it was called uh, in his '66 novel. But it's called um, uh, what was it called? Uh, the Detective. No, it is a. Th- no. well, what was it called? Dang it! You got the name of the book. No, I saw it earlier. Uh, we'll find it here in a second. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> see, Die Hard, based on book. We'll find it here real quick. Nothing lasts forever. That's what it was. Nothing lasts forever. Right. Uh, by the way, Marlon says Murph bought your Manhunter's book over Thanksgiving and reading it now. Hard to put down. Really enjoy it. Well, you know, thank you, brother. Most people read it in the bathroom. That's why it's hard to put down. You got to finish your work <laughs> before you can put it down. All right. Uh, Gerald says, let's ole. No, let's play. Let's not ole, Gerald. Let's play the game of crimes. We don't ole the game of crimes. We play the game of crimes. Anyway, I digress. Let's get back to our regularly scheduled thing. So if there's anything that's the definition of a hostile takeover, this movie is it. But, you know, <laughs> hey, but that's the truth. Hey, but but think about this. Uh, wants to know, Kathy wants to know, can they get the book in Canada? Yes. Go to the DEA narcosite.com. No, no, no. 
No, no, go to eBay. Oh, go to eBay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go to eBay. National has to go to eBay. You'll still get an autograph book, though. Well, doesn't you your site a- doesn't your site link to the eBay site? Uh, probably because I know nothing that's, about it. I have a professional <laughs> named Jeff that takes care of that. <laughs> that's what a that's what a site should do. Anyway, so what's one of the first things I noticed about this? I'll let you guys know. But one of the first things I noticed is, uh, first of all, McLean is armed on the plane, which I know experience in flying. That's very difficult to you to do. Hey, but Steve, as a Fed though, when you guys had to fly, just say domestically. What, what did you guys just get on the plane? Did you have to file paperwork? Because we always had to file these yellow forms and go talk to the captain and do stuff like that. Yeah, it, it you know it continually changed. You know, there for a long time you had to fill out the paperwork at the counter when you first got to the airport, and, and then you had to go through a special section of uh, yep. screening where they didn't really screen you. And then you had to go on first, which I always gave you away. If there were any terrorists on the plane, all you had to do was watch the counter and see if the guys were going up showing their badges and credentials. Yep. <laughs> and and then they would let you pre-board, which is always a giveaway, because you had to go meet the captain. And then everybody comes in and sees you, and they're talking to the captain, and then you go get your seat. So uh, they finally refined that quite a bit right before I retired. Uh, it was a little bit easier, and it wasn't quite as obvious, but uh, it still was. I, you know, when I retired, I'd travel with the family. I didn't know what to do. I've yeah. always gone through the back way. <laughs> gone through the back. Well, you know, they did the same thing when they created the federal air marshals. That was a, these guys were required to wear suits, you know, and they would board first. And it's like, guys, that's a dead giveaway. Yeah. yeah, anyway. But, you know, one of the things was he was smoking in the airport. When's the last time anyone was able to smoke in the airport? True. Oh, you know, look who we just got a message from, eBay. That is weird. Are you guys monitoring our podcast? Yeah, that is cool. We hear you, Murph. We love selling your books on our platform. Keep them coming. Love wow. It. You know, I posted uh, on Instagram and Twitter the other day. And look, we, <laughs> how about that? All right. Wow. Thank you, eBay. Yeah, look at that. Shocked, but I'm pleasantly surprised. Well, look at this. Uh, Lisa says she bought her copy at Chapters Indigo. Now, where's that at? I've never heard of that place. Uh, it's where Lisa bought her book at. Yeah. Oh, All right. Michelle knows how to do this. Look at her. She's coming. Yeah. She's got the answers right there. It's automated. You have an admirer. Yes. <laughs> Kathy says Kathy says it the right way. That's creepy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> creepy as hell. Well, back to our regularly scheduled movie. All right. So yeah. uh, anyway, one of the first things I think, you know, I thought the guy was going to be a throwaway character the first time I saw it. But Argyle, the limo driver, I thought he actually ended up being pretty funny and pretty essential to the whole movie as a limo driver. He's pretty cool, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he just he just out there doesn't give a shit. No, <laughs> having fun. He's loving life. So they're taking him to Nakatomi Plaza, and Steve, we both discovered this little gem of a of a, a piece of trivia. Nakatomi Plaza is in reality the headquarters for Fox Television. No, Twentieth Century Fox. Twentieth Century Fox. There you go. Which, by the way, who's the movie made by? 20th Century Fox. How about that? I can't wait till 20th Century Fox pops in here and says we're big fans of yours. Let's see if they do that. Well, and here, here was the odd thing about that, because I saw all this while we're doing the research also, that 20th Century Fox charged itself rent to use that building in the movie. Everything's Sounds a profit like center. Government. It <laughs> is, like man. We're, it's my tax money going there, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, oh, actually, that's a good point, too, here. Uh, Michelle says, also introduces the very first rap song written for a movie, she thinks. I think that's right, too. I'm a, I didn't do enough research on the music because there was enough with weapons and bad guys, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, so, uh, yes, Gavin, correct. Gavin, y- Gavin gets it right. Yippee-yippee-kaye. Correct, correct. <laughs> All right. 
the internet is always listening. So is the NSA, Eric. So is the NSA. So uh, as we get into this, so they go to Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, but the funny part was, so John, what happens? He gets dropped off there. Argyle says, you know, I'll wait for you if something happens. That's great. But this is the part you were talking about earlier, Rick, about the California reference. So he goes up to this party. He walks in. First thing, he gets kissed by a guy. And what does he say? He goes, fucking California. Yep. <laughs> hey, Rick, you with me? Oh, I'm sorry, Rick. I didn't know if you vapor locked or what over there. It might be. It's early for you, man. No, no. My, uh, my, my, uh, my Wi-Fi is going in and out. So sometimes I'll, uh, I lose you guys, but yeah, oh, okay. isn't that the truth? You know, welcome to California is exactly right. And get kissed by a dude. So he walks into Holly's office, and of course, what's Harry Ellis, who is the biggest douchebag in the entire movie, which he plays his part yeah. well, right? Yeah. Snorting, oh, yeah. snorting coke off of her desk. But I, I'll tell you what, real quick, reminded me of a story, too, because when he's walking by, John McClain goes, hey, you missed some, and he goes... We were in court one time, and one of the defense attorneys, and I will not mention his name, but it was a very difficult name to pronounce, kind of like Rob Zach's name, Steve, right. uh, Zacharias Kachuski or whatever it is. But he—that's what he did. He was in—he was in arguing something. I was just sitting there; I didn't know what's going on. One of the guys looking at him, he goes, "Hey, Don, you got some?" He was just messing with him, but the guy goes, "What? What? Like this?" <laughs> <laughs> what a great! Oh, what a great! Oh, great! Oh, that's that's always it. fun to do with, right? So, uh, but here is so, guys, you got to hang on to the end because I promised you, I told you, I had a psychological lop that I ran actually on people in the intelligence community, the military space, people that should have seen this coming and didn't. And this is one of the things. This is where they kind of start, you know, the the, the uh, it, it's they're seeding what's going to happen later. So, you know, they're dropping a thing. So you see this Pacific Courier truck, this green truck that says Pacific Courier, right? So. That's going to become important later, right? So you see this Pacific Courier truck, you know, and it comes into the scene. Well, guess what it contains? It contains Hans and the boys because they go driving right into the garage. They go get in there. And uh, so while they're doing that, uh, the car pulls up. But then in front, the car that pulls up has Theo and Carl in there while the rest of the people uh, go up. So uh, so what, what color commentary do you have there, Murph? Well, okay. So when that truck arrived, when Hans comes off, you know, and he's standing there all macho, did you see anything behind him? I mean, other than other terrorists? Did you see, remember seeing anything else in the truck? That's, see, so later on, obviously everybody's watching it. You go looking for it. That was the thing. I was trying to look around the corner to see, was there a tarp there? Because I know they had it covered up. You know, was there anything else in the truck? I had a hard time seeing if there was anything else in the truck. Did you see anything? No, there was nothing in the truck in that scene. But at the end of the movie, lo and behold, there's something in that truck. Well, there's a couple times, too. We'll talk about when they shoot windows out with guns. A couple neat things that happen there. So, But here's the one thing, Rick, and I need you to weigh in on this, too, uh, Mr. Firearms Expert. So when Theo and Carl walk in there, they've got one of the – because remember when John McClane goes walking in the first time, there's one of the other security guard kind of gives him the eye. He goes up the elevator. So there's one security guard over here, and there's one behind the desk. He pulls out the the PPK, uh, the Walther PPK that's silenced and shoots the guy with it. Silencers don't sound that silent. They're not like to where the guy only 10 feet away doesn't hear a gun going off. Even if you shoot something like that, you're still going to hear something. Did you ever get the chance to fire silenced weapons, Rick? When we uh, went to the HKs, we had uh, the MP5s and we also had an MP5, what was called an SD. And the SD had a silencer on it, and uh, I had one of them. And when I uh, fired it, you could hear it. It's not yeah. com- totally quiet. 
You can actually you still hear, hear, you still and hear the slide. Flows, it slows the round down so much. You can almost see the round as it's going down. <laughs> Falling, coming, it's coming. Wow. Hey, yeah, you could, yeah, you could duck that they, one. They were horrible. We got rid of them. We had no use for them. We got rid of them. Because they actually impact the accuracy, right? Um, quite yeah, a bit. They do. Yes, they hey, do. Put up, put up Marlon's comment there. All right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> can you see that, Rick? Playing his next show, winning recipe, die hard for blood pudding. <laughs> That's good. I'll develop that for your next show. Well, and if you do it like I'll you did last you. time, you wouldn't have even cooked it. So, folks, here's a little thing. If you didn't listen to the episode, Rick will want a recipe by never actually ever making the recipe before. He just put it together and submitted it. And the first time he really ever made the recipe was after it had been submitted. Am I right, Rick? Am I right? Yeah. No, the first person that ever made it, when I got the word from Food Network that they were going to use that recipe, I called uh, called my wife and said, "You better make it because we got to find out what it tastes like." <laughs> I built the recipe. I built the recipe on paper. I mean, I knew how to because I was working with Wolfgang. And I knew how to build recipes, and I knew what went into it. And I built that all on paper first. Nobody believes me. Wait, look, and we had we had no, we had several people show the actual results on on the fan page and on the web page. They actually took pictures. They actually went and did your recipes. So. Um, Eric says he'll stick to the mac and cheese. No, dude, you got to yeah. do the got to do the real mac and cheese. So anyway, <laughs> as we go up, though, so it's funny, though, because, you know, uh, you can already start to see the scene being set up because you got to wonder, how does John McClain end up with no shoes and just in his, you know, undershirt, T-shirt and pants? Well, he's in the private bath kind of washing up, getting ready to go up. And uh, guess what? One of the first things Theo does is he hacks into the communication system, shuts down all the elevators, and then Tony cuts into the communication systems. You can see him with his little saw. That's Carl's brother cutting those things out. And then what happens? Carl comes along with his little chainsaw and just starts going right down the line, cutting all the telephone lines. But there's only one line in, which they need for the front desk. And then guess what happens? That's when all the bad guys go to the 30th floor and shit starts happening. Right? Yep. They start firing. But you know the one thing I noticed I didn't see enough of? You guys have fired enough weapons to know this, too. You get, I mean, I was out to the range just last week with my son, and I'm firing, I've got my Glock 23, he's got uh, uh, an AR-15, 300 black, anyway, but you shoot enough, there's enough brass, I'm looking around, I'm going, where's all the brass? I don't, for as much as they shot, you should have been slipping and falling on brass, because if you've ever been out to the range and stepped on three or four casings, it's like, whoa, it's like a roller skate. Especially on a slick floor like they had in that office building. Yeah. Oh, I tell you. Anyway, but, but you it, know the so so now now you got uh, McLean running around in his in his tank top t shirt, which we'd call a wife beater these days. I was reading about the trivia on this. <laughs> they used a total of seventeen different t shirts for him in that show, and they were all in, you know each one would be a little dirtier, a little bloodier, a little bit more torn. Yeah, seventeen of those. Seventeen. Well, dude, I, I I might go three or four days and not change my shirt. I know you do that with your underwear. So, I mean, I can you say that like it's a bad thing. What the heck? No, nah, man, we're saving the planet. Save the planet, right? So, that's right, that's right. But you know the one. How do we go? How do we go from mac and cheese to underwear? What's, to underwear? What's going on here? It's a it's an art, man. It is an art form. <laughs> uh, but the one thing that always gets me. This is the one thing when I watch this. I, I just you know you want to reach through the screen. I can't remember who said who said it one time, but it keep your booger uh, hook off the bang bang trigger. Too many people run around in this movie with their finger on the trigger. They're jumping down, and it's like keep. 
did did Alec Baldwin not teach us anything? Keep your finger off the damn trigger. True. Along the True. frame. Along the yep. frame. That's right. It's easy to bring your finger back, but I'll tell you what. Um, all it takes is one little jump. This doesn't take that much pressure to pull a trigger, and you jump down or you move, that finger goes bang. Um, three to five, three to five pounds of trigger pull. That's it. And that's not much. You're right. It is not. So now we get all the terrorists come in. The one unbelievable thing I thought Hans is doing a very good job as a terrorist. I thought at the beginning, because he's saying, where is Mr. Takagi? And then he starts reciting all these facts, dude, if you got all these facts, are you telling me you couldn't get one fucking picture of the guy (laughs) to figure out who he is? (laughs) You've got everything else, but a picture of the guy. Uh, No, I'm sorry. He's the, Uh, well, but again, it's Hollywood. But you know, but the other thing though too, if I was playing devil's advocate, I might say Hans was doing that for dramatic effect because he wanted to see, you know, would Takagi come up. But anyway, uh, he finds out, you know, who Takagi is, and uh, um, they are, uh, you know, you see, you know, with this much planning, you think you would have known. And then obviously, it cuts to another scene. Now, what they're doing is they're seeding something else again. You see, John's looking out the door, and you see a crate, and it says guided missiles, which they're not. Guided missiles. Uh, you know, I'm, that makes it sound like they're surface to air missiles, you know, uh, man pads, you know, uh, they're, but anyway. Oh, wait a minute. We saw this in a movie. It's all got to be true. Hollywood. Hollywood <laughs> sounds better to say guided missiles. <clears throat> That's right. No, and you know what? You picked up on it. Or they got their point across. Time to move on. Yes. And Chris actually, so Chris actually nails it too. Theo, which is Clarence oh, Gilliard. Yeah. Goes on from being a douchebag terrorist to becoming a good guy, Jimmy Prevett. Uh, but Chuck Norris is so old now, it's called Ranger Texas Walker. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just, we, I kill. apologize that for everybody. I kill me. Yeah, Chuck. It's Chuck could probably still kick my ass. You know, there was, I stopped Chuck Norris once. Did you guys know that? He let me off with a warning. Yeah. yeah okay. There we go. I'll bet. <laughs> But anyways, but, uh, but uh, you know, it's one of those things they always have to kind of, they kind of have to seed it so that you remember that it's happening later. They foreshadow it, you know, it's what they call it in the writing and stuff. So you see that going, so you know, that's going to happen somewhere. Right. But then, um, here's the one thing though, uh, you know, McLean is going, he's wondering why Argyle, he hopes Argyle hears the shots. Rick, you've been in the building. Steve, you have too. You're up, you're up three or four, even three or four floors. You're not going to hear shots going off, much less 30 floors up. I mean, you're you're not going to hear that kind of stuff going on, and especially if you're in the basement in a limo with the music going on, like our guy was, you know, and rocking out. You're just not going to hear Jack, are you? No, no, no not at that's, all. That's true, and it doesn't even have to be any sound baffling or anything. It just uh, the sound's not going to carry that far. Well, and neither is radios, because that was a, that was a huge challenge with firefighters, and I know for law enforcement too. Rick, you guys had to have that same issue with some of the high rises you had there. You get you get far enough inside a building, you lose, you start losing radio communications and even cellular communications because the walls and the steel and everything are so thick. How did you guys work around that when you got into a point of where you're going into an area? Um, did you have you know just basically point to point communications, or how did you guys continue to communicate? Yeah, we uh, when we were going into a building. We either um, used just point-to-point visual uh, with the team. We had, uh, it was really bad communications, depending upon the building, the high-rises. We trained in a lot of high-rises downtown, and that's when we realized that, that uh, it's not the best, best venues for, uh, for activities. Mm-hmm. It's, well, it's you know, even, even, even before they started putting the repeaters and the boosters in the, and for cell phones inside those buildings, you know how your phone reception was. If you got in the middle of the building, you might not get, get your call through. 
Now, yeah, you're right. Michelle has a question. So that walkie actually have reached out from the 30th floor. It could if he's actually like close to the glass and it's line of sight because it's not that far from the roof. It's not that far to do it. But if you're like in the elevator shaft, you know, if you're in the basement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been in those situations. So you can't even get a cell signal. But to your point, Steve, in a lot of places, Florida passed a law. You had to put the in-building repeater set. You could always make sure you got cell signals and things like that. So my favorite character, Sergeant Al Powell. Yes, absolutely. I'm I'm with you, Nicole. That's That's a good character good character so anyway so now this is when shit starts getting real because guess what one of the ways john wants to let people know that there's something going on here is he does what he pulls the fire alarm well i got to tell you though also in a big city they get enough of these things i don't know how it was in la but i know in a lot of areas um just because you pulled a fire alarm doesn't mean the fire department was going to be responding they would be responding to those things all day you had to have some kind of secondary verification but again, it's Hollywood. I digress. But you got the fire department coming. And then miraculously, these terrorists have the answers to everything. They have the building codes. They have, you know, to call off the fire department. And so what happens? Fire department yeah, turns around. They had everything but a picture of the guy in charge of the building. That's right. They got everything. But the, who's Takagi? <laughs> they got to go <laughs> They gotta go searching for this. Anyway, so, but what's funny, though, is... Um, uh, this is when he gets, so that's because they know where the alarm goes off now. So, uh, Hans sends Carl, which, or Tony, which is Carl's brother. Tony is wearing the gray sweatshirt, which will become infamous in just a minute. He goes up to the 32nd floor carrying what? The MP5, which is actually the HK94 to go investigate. And what happens? First tango down, as we say, first terrorist down, John McClane and, uh, Tony get into a fight. And what happens? Stumble down the stairs. He breaks his neck, but miraculously, in his bag, he's got ammo, a radio, a cigarette lighter. He sees that fake ID. Uh, and that's when he sends Tony back down in the elevator. By the way, Steve thought I was being nuts, but I was I am being factually and visually correct. When he came down in the elevator, the ball of his hat was on the right-hand side, and he's got this. I think it's safe for me to say we all know you're nuts. Yep. <laughs> <clears throat> I've been, I'm not nuts. Well, I am nuts. I'm not crazy. I've been tested. There's the difference. Uh-huh. Yeah. What do you think, listeners? <laughs> players. You're tested every week, though. Tested every week, just like you do with COVID, right? They're players, Steve. We don't call them listeners anymore. You're old school, baby. We call them playas. They are all playas. Players. Players. What do you think, Morgan's a nut? Yeah. Right on, Murph. Oh, whatever. Right. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah, Michelle, I'm going to start canceling you out. Whatever. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, but what's kind of. Which is plausible, I think. The next thing is McCain or McLean is on top of the elevator car. Now he's overhearing. But he's doing something that's smart, too, if you guys saw what he did. He had a Sharpie. I don't know where he got the Sharpie from. I guess everything is uh, available there. But he starts, he listens, but it's actually a very smart thing. I thought it was actually tactically one of the best things you could do. He starts writing down people's names because now you want to know how many do you have, what are their names, what's their hierarchy. So I thought that was pretty good. Uh, Marlon says he stepped on a glass Christmas ornament barefoot one time. Uh, yeah. Dude, that's a small sliver. John was walking on glass. He had glass up to his knees. He was, he was, but uh, <laughs> here, I'll, I'll just put it up there for you guys to read, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know? So, so here's another piece of trivia about that. You know, he actually had, and they say if you go back and watch it closely, you can see that his feet were bigger than normal size. He had on special made shoes that resembled a real foot as he was going across. So he actually did go across the glass, but he had protection on his feet. I didn't know that. That's interesting. 
Hey, see, useless trivia will never help you anywhere else in your life, but right here on Game of Crimes. And you say I was the master of useless trivia, man. You are soon catching up, right? <laughs> I'll have to take a closer look at that next time. Yeah. yeah, me too. So now we know Heinrich now. Heinrich is one of the bad guys that we showed you. He gets, he starts planting the detonators. He has the detonators. Carl's, so obviously Carl's takes the news bad, uh, the brother of uh, Tony. Uh, but McLean goes out to the roof. This is the funny part. This is where LAPD gets involved now. Hey, that's a Vancouver. That's a Starbucks cup, isn't that, Rick? Yeah. I've got, I've got several of those from around the world. I th- those are actually pretty good cups there. They Van- were. I have several, too. Van- if I like I yours. Yeah. Is that Vancouver, Washington, or BC? Uh, BC. BC, all right. By the way, so here's the fun one, too, though. He's calling out on that radio, which just miraculously happens to be, I guess, Channel 9 on the CB as well. This is a multi-use radio, which LAPD always monitors, right, Rick? LAPD monitors yeah, Channel really. 9 all the time, yeah. And then, for what I love, though, what I love was, though, she gets on the communication supervisor. Does And I seen, I used to, uh, when I supervisor, my wife worked communication, they would do the same thing. Hold on, I'll plug in. You'd get a supervisor come over, plug in with her headset so they could listen to what's going on. She did that. And she starts saying, hey, this channel is reserved for emergencies only. And I like John McClain's reply. No fucking shit, lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? (laughs) (laughs) I I like that. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Well, I'll have to report you to the FCC. Fine. Send them to me. Just send somebody out here. Send them now. But that's when they hear a little bit of gunshot. That's where I think they think starts going on because Carl then uh, you, Carl uh, finds him and then takes the first shot at McLean with that Steyr uh, uh, AUG, that bullpup. I mean, that's again, that's an awesome looking weapon. I wish I could f- find one of those. I'd fire it. But uh, at the same time, guess who's loading up on Twinkies though? Sergeant Al. Sergeant Al is out there loading on Twinkies. Was that a required uh, snack for uh, LAPD, Rick? Did you guys on SWAT were you required to eat Twinkies? <laughs> Yeah, he was getting those for his wife. Don't take his crap, Rick. He was getting them for his wife. He wasn't getting them for his wife. His wife. <laughs> no, she wouldn't take them. Are you kidding? <laughs> Although, you know what? They do fit in your uh, in the backpack and your the BDU pouch pretty well, so you always have something with you. Yeah. And they never go bad. They never expire. And they never go bad because of all the stuff that's in them. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they opened up a time capsule from 300 years ago. There were Twinkies in there that were still edible, man. I'm telling you. Hey, Don't so I got a UFO. I got to talk to you about this, though. So the one thing is uh, the dispatcher, when she reaches out to uh, Al, says, hey, we need to investigate a code two at Nakatomi Plaza. Is that just made up stuff, or is there actually a real thing called a code two? Say that again? So uh, when the dispatcher sends Sergeant Powell out to investigate this uh, suspicious stuff at Nakatomi Plaza, right. she says, investigate a code two. Is that just made up stuff, or is that a real L.A.? Uh, uh, well, code two, when, when they send a call out, it's usually go investigate a, like a code 30, which would be a, a burglar alarm code two. The code two means that uh, go straight to that call. Don't stop for anything uh, in between. So okay. in, in no, other words, no if you see a ticket so or you know, don't stop for a cup of coffee, go straight to the call. Okay. Well, so we, so there's a little bit of authenticity then in the LA comm center. Um, that sounds good. So, uh, he's loading up on Twinkies. So this is the part where Carl Fritz and Franco, the, now they're chasing McLean all over the place from the roof down there. They're getting into gunfights, right? This is the infamous scene, which I've, I've seen these Christmas ornaments hanging. All you see is just the picture of John McLean crawling through the air duct, right? 
So that's the scene. He says, yeah, come out to the coast. We'll get together. We'll have a few laughs, you know, ha, 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 as he's crawling through an air duct. But why is it Carl is this close to ventilating John McClane? He, all he had to do is put a few more rounds in there, and everybody always stops six inches from their ultimate goal. Steve, six inches is actually like this. Just says, so, just, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I could just never understand. But again, it's the movies, right? If they'd shot and killed John McClane, it would have been a very short movie. It would have been Die Hard very quick. Movie's over. You know, we'll see you later. The, re- the reason why that is because it's in the script that way. Yeah, see, I say that to my wife, and she tells me to kiss her ass, so <laughs> it's in the script. Hey, I'll tell you that, but you just don't listen. <laughs> hey, you know what, too? We got, so I posted on LinkedIn that this was going to be on tonight and actually got a response back. From John McClane, believe it or not. His response was, so glad you love my movies. And he attached a, a, a cartoon, and it's uh, an individual pulling out one of those air ducts from overhead. He says, don't forget to leave cigarette shoes and a Twinkie in the duck work for John McClane on Christmas Eve. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> the real John McClane. And believe it or not, he's a police officer. He's the chief of police in Bellevue, Kentucky. Son. Wow. That's Bellevue, cool. Kentucky. It is. Salute. I don't know how big is Bellevue. Hey, Siri, how big is Bellevue, Kentucky? Bellevue has an area of 26,018,912 square feet. Oh, I should have asked. Hey, Siri, what's the population of Bellevue, Kentucky? In 2019, the population of Bellevue was 5,721. Yep. Small town, 5,721. Salute. There it is. Hey, eBay, did you see that message? eBay's listening, Murph. You got a fucking stalker. That's cool. Uh, All right. So now that we know that Carl Fritz and Franco are chasing John McClane all over the place, he gets into the air duct. Guess who comes out there? Sergeant Powell. Sergeant Al drives up in his squad car. Now, when I looked at those, if you looked at those, those are the Chevrolet Caprices. I mean, that's was used about that time. But you could tell that they were surplus cars for two reasons. Number one, I mean, they just totally look mild out. But number two, do you remember... Always in that A-pillar, they used to put the hole for the spotlight, so you'd put the spotlight through there. So if you look close enough at the A-pillar, there's this big glaring hole where, oh, yeah. the, where the spotlight yeah, where the spotlight used to be. Welcome to the party, pal. That's right, Michelle. That's coming up. Welcome to the party. So what happens? Now we get into another. Uh, Heinrich now sends Marco up to help. So Heinrich says, hey, Marco, go help. McLean confronts Marco and Heinrich. John nails Heinrich right when that scene, right when they're coming in there. He gets him before Heinrich can do anything. And then Marco goes nuts on the table. That is the weirdest looking table. It's like in angles like that. I don't see any way, but ha ha, he's, he's crazy. He's shooting. Dude, hop off the table and shoot below the table. Again, movie would have been over. But again, what does John do? Pow, 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 right? Right up through right the, in the crotch. Right in the crotch, man. That's got to hurt. Testicle shots, man. They always hurt. I mean, whether they're yeah. a knee, a foot, or a or a nine millimeter from a Beretta. By the way, that is one magic Beretta because I never saw him have any spare magazines, but that thing never seemed to run out of ammo the entire movie. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. 
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. 8,000 round clip. It's invisible. <laughs> you know, even Connie was watching that. She's like, why didn't he just jump off the table and shoot the guy? <laughs> because it was in the script, right, Rick? Asshole. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, in the, oh, yeah. right. it's in the script. Automatic so anyway. reloading machines. Oh, man, it is. It just automatically reloads your weapon. You just automatically you, reloads itself. Yeah. Yeah. So by now, we've got three tangos down. So we've got Marco, um, we've got uh, Heinrich, and we've got uh, Tony are all down. And this is how, finally, John gets the attention of everybody out there. Welcome to the party, pal. What does he do? He takes Marco and throws him out the window, and he lands on the hood of Al's patrol car. Now, get your attention. I, I think that'll get your attention. So anyway, so what happens after that? Of course, you know, Bob puts it in reverse in about the same time. This is the part continuity error. I know it's in the script, Rick, but it's still a continuity error. What do they do? They shoot out the window with the M60 and they start shooting at him. And then when they show the second part of the scene, what do they show? The window breaking again. How does that magic? How does that window magically reappear and then get broken out twice? It regenerates Hollywood magic. It's like a self, 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 self-loading magazine. I can just keep shooting. It's like the 12-shot revolver, you know, and the 3,000-shot semi-automatic gun. Man, they just get the gift that keeps on giving. Now, It's even better when they're using a, a wheel gun and they start yeah. shooting past the 6, 7, 15 rounds out of a wheel gun. We all <laughs> yeah. know it's 6. Now, and look at Nicole's comment because common, common sense doesn't come into it. Common sense isn't common, yeah, really. Nicole. Yeah. I know. Look, this is movies. It's suspension of belief. You got to just suspend your belief in reality to go to these movies. But again, another quick trivia. By the way, who passed on this movie? Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. You said who else? Robert De Niro. This thing was made for $25 million. It grossed $145 million. So Bruce Willis was laughing all the way to the bank, I'm sure. Well, you know, he made he made five million bucks for that movie, the first one, and at that time in 1988, that was an unheard of amount for uh, you know a tier one actor. That was a buttload of money. Now it's commonplace today, but ton of money back then. That was a ton of money, five million. But think, yeah, in those dollars too. But think about what the franchise did after that. I think there were a total of what five movies, four or five movies. No, I'm not sure. I think there were oh, five yeah, movies. Still making them too. Oh yeah, yeah. One, the last one was in 2013. I think there'll be another one. You know, Die Hard. Uh, you know, as I fall off my walker with Chuck uh, Norris, uh, exactly. Ranger Texas Walker. So, uh, but now here's the one. Th- here's the here's the part that I caught that I want to bring to your attention, Rick, because I need to know if you actually know this guy. So Richard Thornburg was played 
by, um, let me see here, was played by William Atherton. He's a good actor. You see him in a lot of stuff. He is there talking. And one of the things he says, he's, I think he's trying to talk a lady into going to dinner with him. He says, yeah, come on out to dinner. He says, Wolfgang and I are very close friends. I know he's talking about Wolfgang's restaurant there, not too far from, I'm sure, where everything's going on. So does, how many restaurants does Wolfgang have in L.A.? Oh, he's got quite a few. And the one they're talking about is, would be Spago. Spago? Yeah, that's down in the Century City area. Uh, Jackie nailed it, though. I can't see anyone else playing that character except Bruce Willis. I agree, because I can't see Sylvester going, yeah, yo, no, a- yo, Adrian, toss me a magazine. I just don't see that happening. That. Well, And Nicole's saying that Frank Sinatra, Sinatra also passed on the movie. I, hadn't, I didn't know that. He, Frank, that would have been a little out of his swim lane. I didn't realize that. Well, I mean... He could have sang musical. He could have sang. Well, hey, he could have sang the music at the end of the. You know, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Yep. So anyway, so guess what happened? So Rick, this is when your this is when your contribution becomes highly valuable now because guess what? Massive police response starts coming out. Uh, John finds detonators and C4s in Heinrich's bag. Obviously, after he toasts Marcos and Heinrich, um, and now he's got the walkie-talkie. So. The biggest thing is the detonators now become the key piece, right? Because they can't blow up anything without the detonators. They've got a lot of C4, but you can't just ignite C4. You can't put a fuse in it and light it, and it blows up. It needs the detonators, right? So, But I thought I thought what was pretty cool was uh, towards the end, after he's just annihilated them, he's on the radio. He's finally talking to Hans, and Hans goes, Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? And what does he say? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> That is the one of the I you know one, well one of the yeah one of the things that comes out of movies are some of the classic lines like Clint Eastwood go ahead make my day you know I mean these things just they get even even with uh, Seinfeld you know yada 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 that that came from Seinfeld that was a total Seinfeld creation you know just yep. great stuff so anyway so they fired the M sixty E three and Dallas patrol car and that's where they go yeah welcome to the party pal and what's our Argyle doing he's down in the basement what's he doing Murph. Chilling. He's he point, he's opened up those little mini bottles of alcohol, and he's got his feet kicked up on the dash, and life is good. Yeah, he's just having fun. He's by the way, actually, um, Nicole makes a good point though too, because uh, she said uh, Frank was seventy three when it was offered to him in the actual book. Uh, John McClane is actually an older retired detective. He's an older guy, not a younger guy like this John McClane. So if they were looking for that age, that might have been it. But. Uh, um, I, I just can't see Frank Sinatra. I'm sorry. No, I can't see it either. Oh, uh, hold on. My sciatica, my sciatica is hurting me. I'll be there with you in a minute. <laughs> He's not crawling through an air duct. I can tell you that right now. Frank's connected. He's going to call a couple of his boys who are going to come out and handle things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. So now Rick, here's where we yes, need sir. to understand LAPD procedure. Sergeant Al Powell is out there. He's in charge, at least of the scene initially. And who do we get? Deputy chief. John T. Robinson shows up. Dwayne. I mean, Dwayne T. Robinson, yes. Dwayne T. Robinson shows up. Are most deputy chiefs that clueless? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Most, you ask me if most of them are. Not all of them. There are some that are the good deputy chiefs, assistant chiefs. But the thing is, they wouldn't take over the crime scene. There's no way a deputy chief would do that. No, they're like, get that. They don't want to write reports. Trust me, he doesn't want to stick his neck out there and make a wrong decision. He'd rather have somebody else make the wrong decision so he could point a finger at him. Absolutely. Hold somebody accountable. I told you you shouldn't exactly. have done that. 
Yeah. Yeah. See, there we go. Well, here's plus when, it, when SWAT arrives, we take the scene over and we get rid of all the command staff and we we seclude them someplace else in a room and and feed them Twinkies and, uh, and coffee. Because all they do is get in the way and want to make bad decisions. It's like, no, you go deal with the politicians. We'll deal with the real stuff here. So, Rick, here's the fun part that comes up, because now we're getting into all the terrorists are set up. They're expecting a police response. I mean, uh, Holly starts negotiating with Hans because it's which is good actually. Hey, look, people got to pee. You know, we got a we got a pregnant lady here. Got to move some couch. He says, okay, you know, I'll deal with you. But here's the funny part though: they're only on scene for fifteen or twenty minutes, and Chief Dwayne T. Robinson is ready to send SWAT in. If you're going to sold a building that big, could you do it in fifteen minutes, Rick? No, <laughs> with four guys. No, with four guys. <laughs> yeah, even with even more than that. No, it takes planning. You've got to figure out where you're putting people. You've got to figure out where hostages are. You got to do, you've got to do a stealth probe where you're going to look uh, for uh, for breach points. No, <laughs> fifteen minutes. By the way, Michelle got this too. This is one of the things they said. They need breath mints before talking to the press. They actually, wasn't talking to the press when the FBI showed up. The deputy chief had his nose so far up the bureau's ass, which the bureau came in. It was. It's very stereotypical. I mean, Steve and I kid the FBI, but they, they don't come in like that anymore. Um, but but he was saying they don't do like, anyway. <laughs> Steve, come on now. This is Christmas season. We're in the spirit of good. But yeah, but that was more of a dig at the deputy chief. Like, hey, you may want to wipe the brown off your nose. You know, or do you take a breath mint before you go over there and kiss the FBI's ass? But yeah, so yes. Well, that's right. it, you know where his nose was before he came out there on the street. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was. <laughs> well, no, I don't want to know. So now. Rick, I didn't know that LAPD also had this huge truck tractor semi trailer mobile incident command that could show up in five minutes to a major scene like that with four huge ass searchlights. Where do you guys hide this? <laughs> I mean, where do you hide this shit and be able to just pull it out? I mean, there's no traffic, right? I mean, it gets there, there's no traffic, it gets there in five minutes. Well, SWAT stuff's kept downtown, which is more than five minutes away. We have uh, command post uh, vehicles. Are actually kept over at uh, at Burbank Airport and uh, and different locations uh, throughout the city, but the so the SWAT truck and the SWAT command unit that's that's downtown. Well, there is some language here though too that just had me cracking up, and I know it probably did you guys too. So they got the huge ass searchlights out there. The LAPD is preparing to assault, and the team commander. Here we are. Yeah, the team commander goes maintain your reconnoiter. What the fuck is that? <laughs> that was one of the funniest slides in the whole movie. <laughs> I want to know who wrote that. Who was the writer for this? Uh, somebody who's obviously richer than they were before the movie was made. That's first damn sure. Yeah. Um, they adapt. I think I had. Some, I think I had it in here. Let me see who adapted the play. Um, I know it's just a, the film adaptation. Who are the technical advisors? Who are the technical advisors for it? I'd be interested well, to find out. Yeah, they said there were several uh, police officers that were technical advisors, but uh, it's kind of questionable. Well, obviously, it shows it wasn't anybody from SWAT. No, no, because right. we actually we that's one of the things we talked about with the the movie they made about you guys that day. One of the things you told them is you never sit there and rack your slide back to put around into it. You pull it back just to make sure it's in there. And that was some technical advice you gave to them that they actually did incorporate into the movie, uh, which, you know, that was good. At least they took it. So, but again, maintain your reconnoiter, right? 
But the other thing that got me too, you had to be watching this by the shot, by the spotlight is a SWAT officer. He's obviously about a hundred yards away from the damn building. You got terrace up on the 30th floor. And what is he, what is he armed with? A shotgun. A fucking shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't know about shotguns, everybody, it's it's because the the rounds will not, even a slug is not going to travel that far. It's going to travel farther than you have 11, you have 11 uh, pellets. They're about uh, 32 caliber, 33 caliber coming out all at once. And they spread, and at 15 yards, they're done. That's you it. Might catch a, you might catch one going one way and another going the other way. Past 15 yards, all you're doing is it's just, it's just a mass, you know, it's a, a weapon of mass annoyance because you're going to be hitting things you don't intend to and breaking shit. Exactly. Even if it's a tactical up. round. In SWAT, we had tactical shotgun rounds where we could pretty much keep a tight pattern at 20, 20 yards. But not, nothing over that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and- Johnny said, Johnny brings up a good point that in LA, there's no traffic. That was the first clue of a Hollywood magic there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh yeah. John, you're Johnny. You're right. Uh, yeah. No traffic in, in, especially in Hollywood. Of yeah. Course. <laughs> Let's see. Here's the police technical advisor. We'll put that up there in a, a minute, Michelle. It's, we can't get the links out of that right now, but um, we'll do that. But anyway, here's the other line though, too. And this is the one everybody has asked about, Rick. You got to weigh in on this. So you got Theo in there watching the cameras, and what do they do? They start sending only four guys. And he says, here they come in standard two-by-two cover formation. Can you you confirm or deny, is there ever a technique called standard two-by-two cover formation? I never heard of it until I watched it the other day. Well, see, you've been deficient in your training then. You guys should have been using this. These are just, these are awesome tactics. By the way, I didn't know you guys were equipped with lock picks either and acetylene torches that you carry in your backpack to cut through Why stuff didn't like you just that. just break the glass to try and get in instead of pick <laughs> see, the lock? That's what the bad guys did. Good they shot Lord. the glass Look, up. here's the thing. Everybody knows you're there. You got searchlights. There's gunfire going off. Shh, shh, be very, very quiet. We're hunting tailwhisk. Don't break the glass, you know? <laughs> Give me a break. Just kick in the damn door. Throw a flashbang in there. Do something. I remember the movie from years ago, but then I watched this just two nights ago just for your uh, podcast, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, They had to pick me up off the floor at at work because I was laughing so hard. It's crazy. (laughs) It is. I know. And guys, you think we're dogging it, but again, it's still, it's the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Let's just get that great. You know, it really is good. You know, you gotta, if you can account for all the Hollywood that goes into it, it's a really good movie. But if we're looking at it as far as uh, the the technical aspect of it, it's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. Like I say, you'd never, you'd never see a SWAT cop moving up to a building because you try to use stealth and cover. And uh, being stealthy cover, you're out of sight, especially in a high rise. You're getting into the building, and then you're going to go up floor. They've got the advantage. They've got the high ground. They've got the advantage. They can see you. They can do stuff. If you're not stealthy and you're out in the open, man, you're just going to get picked off. We did training in a 13-story, 14-story building downtown, and uh, we had to fast rope in one building, work our way down that one, and come up the the target building, and nobody ever saw us. And that's the whole trick. You don't want to be seen. Well, that's because you hit the wrong building, Rick. <laughs> that's why nobody saw you. We're in the wrong building. Oh, shit. Let's wow. go back. That's, now, that's that's when you want right, the guys. FBI to be there and you say, here, it's yours. <laughs> oh, I know. We're having fun. Hey, We're- to, to Michelle Hewlett, uh, hey, thanks for joining us. We understand you got to get up at 3 a.m., but thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, you got to get well, – 
okay, so you got 3 a.m. That doesn't, 3 a.m. what, Eastern time? Uh, are you Australian? I mean, we got to narrow this down here. Give us some context, Michelle. Then we'll feel sorry for you. But until then, stay with us because there's good stuff at the very end. We're, gonna, we're getting to it. We're getting close here. Jackie, thank you very much. Keep, uh, keep telling these two knuckleheads, uh, and I'll be back. Oh, yeah. We, we got some more stuff coming. So anyway, the other thing, too, is when all of this happens, and of course, the, you know, they wound the officers. You know, he doesn't want to kill them. He just, Hans wants to wound them. Then, then the, uh, the, the, the SWAT commander goes, send in the car. And it's like this, da, 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 the, the C parts. Did you guys, I know you guys had armored, uh, you, had, you had APCs, you know, their version of armored vehicles, but I thought you had one with the big ass long arm that said, have a nice day on the front of it. Did you guys actually have one that was shown in the movie like that? No, we only had it back at that time in 1988 when that was filmed. We only had the, um, we only had the one and that was, uh, the, uh, we call it the battering ramp. Uh, you take the ram. We only used a ram when we were going through a door and take that off. It was actually a Vietnam personnel carrier um, that they we were able to to get and work to our needs. Um, you know, the, the other thing that you're talking about the negotiations. A deputy chief would never negotiate. He would never be right up against uh, out there on the scene like that. He wants a buffer. Never, he never wants happened. he wants plausible deniability. He doesn't want to know if something screws up because he wants to hold people accountable. We have negotiators she. with our team. I was actually a negotiator along with a uh, a uh, an entry person, and um, we take the negotiations over from patrol, and then we go ahead and negotiate it. See, Steve, Nicole is in Australia. So now that That's we have context, cool. if you got to get up at three, I'm sorry, one a.m. You still got it. I've been in Australia. It's still potty time, mate. Still good. No, no, so no, that was somebody else. That was Michelle Hewlett. That was oh Michelle Hewlett. Oh, but Nicole. I said now Nicole. You know we're gonna have to do something on undercover work now because she's doing a great undercover. They think she's in a teams meeting. Yeah, she's in a teams call. meeting. It's one p.m. in Australia. That's right. That's right. I love my Aussies. I've been down there a few times. Always had fun. Anyway. Oh yeah. Love, here's love now. Here's beautiful. the first instance of the use of a of an IED in a movie that I know of. Uh, was that because what he did was James and Alexander? Now they head down with the missile launcher because they're gonna they're obviously gonna blow up the car now. To see the car coming in. Missile launcher. The missile launcher. But John takes he's got that bag. Remember that the bag had C four in there and he's got a couple detonators. He takes that around a computer monitor, ties it together around the chair, opens the elevator shaft, and then miraculously. The chair only falls as far as the fourth floor, exactly with where, which where is what is the missile launcher, right? Mm -hmm. That is one hell of an explosion, man. And I'm still, I kind of get it, but I'm trying to go, how do you set off? Maybe it's the electrical charge inside the old, what they called cathode ray tube that would charge the, but that's a lot of fucking engineering for, you know, 30 seconds that you're trying to think, oh, let me just drop this chair off with C4 and it'll blow out the whole floor. But anyway, two more tangos down, two more tangos down. He takes out, Mm -hmm. uh. You mean in real life that wouldn't happen? Oh, well, I guess not. Let's see. Um, John Crates, yeah, so he takes out James and Alexander. So by this time, we have five tangos down. James and Alexander are down. So now here's the fun part, too. Harry Ellis, the coke-sniffing uh, douche nugget uh, moron, he wants mm-hmm. to negotiate with Hans. Ken Davis, awesome podcast. Well, Dan, Thank we're just going to put that up there because Absolutely. we think it's an awesome podcast, too. So we're going to leave it there for a minute. Just to remind everybody, it is an awesome podcast with awesome guests like Rick. Sherry's going to be on next week, the same one who sent us Harry and David. So this is all cool. This is cool stuff. Anyway, but uh, so Hans wants to negotiate. You, you already know this is going to go bad, right? Because Ellis 
is the biggest douche nugget. He just reminds you of those typical slimy, help me, what, you know, help me help you. What do I have to do to put you in a car today, ma'am? You know, just. I know. You know, when he got killed, nobody cried. Well, you just gave it away, Murph. I was trying to build drama. (laughs) Pick it up here, bud. Remind me not to go to a movie with you. Okay, let's pick it up. Okay. And that's what Hella says. Hey, I know you're here for a hostile takeover. I get it. He tries to negotiate with him. He dimes out McLean, which I think is pretty shitty for a guy to do. But, of course, he's looking for himself. But then what does Hans do? He, he, you know, terminates negotiations uh, with Ellis pretty quickly. With prejudice, as they say, terminates negotiations with Ellis. So, um, about somebody getting their due. Yeah, Ellis got it. Yeah, but the other thing though, too. But there's actually a good tactic though. One of the tactics they did do that Hans did. Um, he's they were trying to figure out what's his. You know, what is it you guys want? You're taking over Nakatomi Plaza. He starts asking for the race of all these terrorists around the world, our brothers and sisters here. So, it's a little bit of subterfuge. Gets people. Uh, wanting, and that's when the FBI arrives, and that's when uh, Sergeant Al t- says to Deputy Chief Robinson, "Hey, you want a breath mint? Well, guess what? Now this is the one part, Steve. You had some great um, insight about this, and I didn't realize that. In the next part, this is when Hans goes to check out the explosives, and while he's checking them out, he conveniently leaves his gun and flashlight, you know, on the on the ledge there, and then he jumps down, and who does he run into? But yeah, John." And that was, and so what we what we learned about this is that they did not practice that scene at all. They wanted that natural surprise reaction when they came around each other and bumped into each other there at the uh, in that particular scene. And and it is, it's it that is a genuine reaction. It's not nothing that's rehearsed. So it was kind of cool. Probably the only genuine thing in the whole movie. No, no, there's another one too. Oh, we'll save it. I'm not going to give away a spoiler like you did and talk about Ellis getting killed before we built the drama. Murph, you didn't read the script. We sent you the script, man. You got to read the script. It's in the script. Picture book. What can I say? Picture book. Anyway, so, uh, but the one thing, though, too, I thought was typical government talk, right? Special Agent Johnson, who they refer to him as Big Johnson, and the other Special Agent Johnson, they refer to him as Little Johnson. Um, that's their that's their words. They go, oh, the FBI goes, it sounds like a typical A7 scenario. What the hell is an A7? I've, I've never heard of an A7. <laughs> You know, it sounds That's like we're from, a government thing. We're from the government. We're here to help. It's an A7 scenario, you know. Uh, so finally, John and Hans, you know, they're talking. And, uh, you know, when I first saw this movie for the first time, I thought, surely John has to know this guy doesn't look, uh, I mean, he's got to be something wrong. But Hans actually pulls it off with the American accent and everything. So I'm thinking, does he really know? But again, how does this, how does the, the only time the bread is actually out of ammo is when he hands it to Hans and Hans thinks he's got the drop on John. And well, obviously he doesn't. Right. So, but the one thing they did do, and this is where your comment about the shoes, you know, the stuff of shoes, what do they do to slow down John McClane? He, Hans tells Carl, Hey, shoot out the glass, shoot out all the glass. They waste a lot of ammo shooting out glass. I mean, one or two rounds is enough to break those things. Right. Conservation of ammo, Rick. I mean, I know at the range you shoot a lot of stuff, but when you actually get out there, I mean, it's kind of like you just don't sit here and hold your gun up and fire off a 30-round clip with no idea where all the rounds are going. But again, I'm not in L.A. Maybe that's what they do in L.A., just on the street corner. I don't know, 6th and Crocker. You know, first place, you don't call them clips. Clips are in— I mean, magazines, yeah. We call them magazines. Clips are in hair. Magazines are in guns. Well, terminology, it's a term of art. I had had to bang you for that for the— the landed on the wrong building. 
<laughs> Payback. <laughs> All right, touche. Fine, uh, fine. Paybacks are hell. All right, we're we're even now. We're, we're starting. I knew I'd, I'd have a chance. Johnny sent you a comment there, Morgan. Uh, nope, nope, not touching that one. The Johnsons really. Nope, I will be uh, mature. <laughs> yeah, no, you won't. <laughs> Why be mature? We're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Johnson brothers. Yes. Special agent I said, I'm Big Johnson. I'm. This is what they said, not me. I'm just repeating what I heard. So guess what now? Um, as we start finding out, finally Hans gets to recover all the detonators now. Uh, McLean is, you know, they've got them back. Now we start finding out why Sergeant Al was off the street. He's a, he's a desk sergeant. But why would a desk sergeant hop in a, a vehicle and go out and get Twinkies? Rick, can you answer that burning no, question? No, they go out, desk sergeants, watch commanders. They'll go out for, for food, for anything. When an incident happens, they'll go out to, uh, to the incident to, uh, to see what's going on. Okay. Uh, he, got, he got thrown in the middle of it at the beginning. I mean, at the very beginning. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we find out, now we start finding out Hans's evil plan because he needs the, he needs, he understands now to get into the vault of Nakatomi Plaza where there's $640 million of bearer bonds. Um, you got to shut down the power because the electromagnetic uh, lock uh, can be circumvented if somebody shuts off the grid. So they're finally, they shut down the grid, the vault opens up, and there's all these bearer bonds. And people go, what's with bearer bonds? Technically, by 1988, they were kind of illegal. People figured out they were dodged. But if you used to hold a bearer bond, you had to, you, the fact that you were in possession of them was enough to prove that you owned them. You didn't have to prove anything else. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you guys, you guys have any dope cases with bearer bonds or anything like that? Not that I'm aware of. All right. All right. But here's the here's the part though I thought this is now this is one of the most unbelievable parts, but I know it's it's total Hollywood, right? What is the what is the most safest way to take a sniper shot, Rick? That's with a uh sniper rifle, seven six two round and a Huey helicopter that is maneuvering and banking at high speeds, right? <laughs> I, I, I noticed that. You know, we we do have our snipers. Uh, they are able to take shots on pods on benches. They sit out on the pods and they, uh, but, but I tell you what, they're stationary. I mean, the helicopter is stationary when they're taking that shot and they're accurate. Actually, there was a call up where they took a suspect out because he had high ground shooting at police and, and the neighborhood. But, um, and that wasn't too long ago. It was a couple of years ago, but, uh, yeah, not banking like, uh, like in the movie. No. I mean, if you have a cruiser, if you have an M60, which they had on that Huey gunship, I mean, those things you far from there, because that one, you're just spraying lead. You're just covering an area that's cover fire, right? But if you're wanting to take some out, hey, Steve, wasn't it Alex Collins? I think it was episode 23. Didn't he talk about, maybe we talked a little bit about that chase. Was there one of them where they had guys in a helicopter that were actually firing at one of the guys they were chasing? Mm, No. Uh, not that I recall, not on Alex's case. Okay, maybe not. Okay, we had a similar one too, Rick. We we're talking about that. I can't remember with somebody, but they're talking about. They actually had some sheriff's officers in a helicopter were taking shots at a guy. Anyway, let wait, us go so, back. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa! So look at Ken Davis here. He's never seen the movie. Come on, Ken. This is the best Christmas movie ever made. This is classic. Ken, what? And he's got a picture of the Mandalorian on there. Look, if you're going to be related to Pablo or Pedro Pascal, who played Javier Pena in the movie Narcos, Boyd Holbrook played Steve. Steve's on the podcast. See, I've already connected us. We're connected now by three degrees of separation. You got to watch the damn movie. You notice how I did that just very artfully and slickly? It just was. And Nicole's giving, giving him instructions as well. That's right. Well, he's a man. He needs instructions, don't we all? Anyway, we are getting towards the end right now. So the FBI goes airborne. Um, 
Now, the one thing I thought, too, typical of a slimy reporter, because you kind of everybody gets the stereotype that reporter Thornburg was a slimy guy. They track down the family, right? And what are they doing? They're putting the family on the air conveniently at the same time that Hans is there. And all of a sudden, what does Hans make the connection? Ah, these are your kids. Holly is not Holly Gennaro, but Holly McLean. And now they start figuring out who John McLean is, right? So, um, however, though, while that's going on, this is, see, this is the other thing, too, in Hollywood. If I had the chance, if you're really after a bad guy or the bad guy's after you and they're going to take you out, take the shot, right? Don't draw it out like James Bond films. James Bond never dies. You know why? Because Goldfinger always says, he says, do you expect me to talk, Goldfinger? No, Bond, I expect you to die. And then they run off and they leave him with the laser getting ready to cut him in two, and nobody knows if it actually happens or not. So Carl's got the chance to take John McClane out. He's got the star uh, AUG up against him. He should have taken the shot, but he doesn't. He gets into a fight, and guess what happens? He gets choked out with the chain. John wins that battle. John chokes him out with the chain, or we think. He gets choked out with the chain, right? This is one guy that is tough to kill. <laughs> this is the movie was Die Hard was also named after Carl. Carl was tough to kill. Carl, you just didn't uh you just didn't take him out, right? So now they got all the hostages on the roof. John's fighting Carl. He's got the chain wrapped around him. <clears throat> and then, but uh when they start moving him onto the roof, now John takes out Yuli, who was the uh Asian guy. Big Fu Manchu mustache, eating the candy bar. I thought it was kind of a lighthearted moment. He's down there, you know, when the guys are breaking in. He's, I oh, sees the candy bar. So that's eight tangos down now. So he's got eight tangos down. Well, now the M60 gunner on the Huey starts shooting at John on the roof, right? So that's the, that's the thing you do, right? You take a helicopter with an automatic weapon and you start shooting at people, which 99.9% .9 of the people on the roof are, guess what? Civilians. They're innocents, right? Makes perfect sense, doesn't it, Steve? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it it just it kind of fits in with all the rest of the things we've been talking about. Yeah. Oh. Oh, by the way, there's a nice one from Michelle. Yeah, all the bad guys movie look like I just stepped off the cover of a romance novel, have to be hard to kill. Yeah, because they're good looking. The ugly ones die first. That's what always happens, right? Oh, by the way, Nicole. Oh, great. Here's a God. God, I love you guys. Oh, oh. heart heart emoji. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We love you too. This is fun. It's the square jaw made of steel, right? So they take them all to the roof, right? John takes out Yuli. Uh, John jumps off the roof. He's almost taken out by the fire hose he uses to try and escape. But, but this is one of the funniest ones, though, too. The only brilliant thing I thought Deputy Chief Dwayne T. Johnson said was, remember after they blew the roof and the helicopter with the FBI agents in there, it all gets blown yeah. up, too? He goes, oh, we're going to need some more FBI guys, I guess. <laughs> That was, that was funny. <laughs> uh, but this, this is where the good stuff ends. This is coming to the end, right? Because what Argyle becomes our hero now. What does he see, Steve? He sees what you did not see in the first scene, which is there is an ambulance hidden mm -hmm. in the back of that truck, which, by the way, is very clever, right? Because one of the things when all that happens, you've got ambulances coming in and out. And are you really going to stop every ambulance coming in and out? Probably not. But let me tell you. That is actually what, serious side for a second, that's actually what happened in some terrorist attacks to where uh, they've had them over in Israel, they've had them over in Palestine or some places like that. You have a bombing or a shooting or something, and then somebody comes in and guess what? They're driving an ambulance, and guess what? It's not an ambulance. It's a VBIED. And so you've got, I mean, so there are some real serious issues with making sure you know which one or the who 
who are the right first responders in this, right? So Ex- explain that acronym you just threw it there. VBI. Oh, VBD, Vehicle Borne Improvised Explosive Device. So, uh, Thank you. yeah, an IED is, you know, just an IED. It's once that they, we'd lost a lot of soldiers to IED. And then if you put it in a car, they call it a vehicle borne uh, IED. So, so John, uh, so the other thing too is, uh, so that's what, that's what I thought was cool. He smashes him with the, uh, limo pretty hard, right? But then again, the limo survives because it's driven away later, right? So there you yeah. go, Hollywood again, right? But he has to follow yeah. up. He has to get out of the limo and follow up. And he does, and he punches Theo out. Now we don't. I don't. Theo is just knocked out. See, I don't think Theo gets because uh, uh, John ambushes Kristoff uh, right when they're coming in that room. He's got him held hostage, so he punches him or gets him with the elbow, and he drops all of those bearer bonds. Um, so mm-hmm. I think he is still. Um, uh, was that for me there, Rick? Oh, that's something to t- take a look oh, at later. Hostage. Oh, yeah. Oh, here, uh, the the uh, FBI acted way too happy to take out uh, 25%. One thing about the FBI on this, if if SWAT, if we're on it, we don't give it to the FBI. We actually had a call-up in which a um, hostage, uh, a suspect took over the uh, Mexican consulate in Wilshire area, and we had hostages. And FBI came out, and we wouldn't give it up to them. It was ours. When the, our, our thought process is, if it's in the city of Los Angeles, we handle it. Period. Nice. Nice. Yeah, but, but quite frankly, though, too, that was very cavalier. That would not, in real life, people don't go, well, 25% collateral damage is acceptable. Nobody says that, trust me. No, not at all. No. Not at all. What one Plus that guy, he's flying around there. Yeehaw, the other reminds me of Saigon. Good grief. <laughs> Yeah, oh, a little bit too gun happy. Yeah, you would have been taking it away from him. So now we're down at the end. So Hans is holding Holly hostage, right? Um, but one of the things that was foreshadowed again, right? We saw Bruce. The other thing too is he takes the rounds out. He's only got two rounds left now, right? The magic gun is down to two rounds now, and you see tape there. So we already know what he's doing. He's taped the gun to his back, right? So well, okay. So how did the hell do you get your hands back there and tape that on? The I back saw that. <laughs> I can't even scratch my back. I'm sitting there. Do- if I try and do that, man, I throw my throw my spine out for three days. Yeah, yeah. But that's what it comes down to, right? We think that's the final scene. Everybody's thinking that is the final scene, right? Because they think mm. everybody else is dead or incapacitated. So uh, uh, John shoots Hans, which he starts staggering back. Eddie starts to go for his gun, which is hanging over the cot. One right through the forehead, which I'm going, damn, that's some fine. After all of that, you can still shoot somebody through the forehead. That is a one magic gun, man. But now, the most iconic scene in the entire movie, right? Hans starts to go out. He's hanging on to her. And what is he hanging on to? John's got Holly hanging on to the watch, which that's what they gave her. And here's the other piece of trivia I told you to hang on for. So when Steve told you about when... uh. Uh, Hans confronted John for their, John McClane the first time. They didn't rehearse it because they wanted it to be a surprise. When you see that look on Hans's face when he starts to fall off, because remember, folks, it ain't Christmas until Hans falls off Nakatomi Plaza. That they actually used the first take of that, and the reason they did that is the release that they were using for him released a little bit a few seconds too early. And Alan Rickman, playing Hans, didn't realize that. He was scared. He thought something was happening. That was genuine fear in Hans's eyes when he was dropped because he thought he he thought something had failed. So that was the real stuff, the magic bullet. Yes, all of that good stuff. 
How do you stand the pain when you rip that gun out? That's actually, that's a good question too. That hurts. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. It takes me a half hour to rip off a Band-Aid. Now, ripping off the tape. Anyway, so that's, we think, right, we think that's the end of the movie. He takes them out. Now that's nine tangos down. Um, John finally meets Al. They do what? The bro hug, right? Deputy Chief Robinson wants a debrief from McLean. <laughs> yeah, whatever, you know. He's a New York cop. Final scene, though, we think, who's the person that comes back from the dead that we think is dead? Carl. What does Carl have with him in the body bag? I, didn't, I don't know. I don't remember this one. The star. Why do you oh. put a body in a body bag with the weapon? Good question. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> must be an LAPD maneuver. That must be the A47 Code 3 maneuver where you put people in a body bag with their weapon just in case they wake up and have to defend themselves in the zombie apocalypse. You right? never know. That's that's good point. <laughs> well, well who, but then the, as that scene continues, I didn't realize that LAPD had a rule that when one officer pulls his weapon, everybody else lays down on the ground and ducks. <laughs> All those cops out there, and Al's the only one who pulled a gun out. <laughs> well, Michelle was right. Again, it's in the script. Why do you do that? So you can use it in the third act, silly. Actually, I think it was uh, <laughs> there you go. Chekhov actually said, don't don't show a gun in the first act unless you're going to use it in the third act, right? I mean, don't never show anything that you're not going to use. That's one of the standards of playwriting and uh, writing a book. So he might need it in the afterlife. Anyway, so what happens? Al gets over his fear because he shot a kid accidentally, pumps five rounds into this guy with his Smith & Wesson Model 15, the only gun in the movie that did not have magic bullets in it. He shot five of his six rounds. It's the only one that stuck to the physics of the weapon and shot it. And then guess what happens? Argyle crashes the gate into the limo, comes out, and then the final piece of justice, what does Holly do to the reporter? Uh, I just <laughs> love that yeah. part. <laughs> Did you ever want to do that, Rick? Were you ever out at a scene where you just wanted to punch a reporter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? I'm throwing things at my TV right now because of reporters. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone well, through I don't know how many TVs. Let me ask you this, Rick. So if you were Al and you just fired five rounds from a six-shot revolver, would you holster? <laughs> no, not I at know all. You would. Are you kidding? Oh, the, you reload. I, you bet. Uh, down, and get cover and then reload. Yeah, I'd be a yep. speedy loader. Yeah. Absolutely. Ken, I, I don't know if you speak Navajo, but if you do, that's amazing. Ya'ad, I can't even pronounce it. Ya'ad, Kashmish, and Navajo translation, Merry Christmas. He's downloading the movie now. So Ken is going to watch the movie. We have made a convert. Greatest Christmas right. movie ever, right? So the final line I thought was really good, and it's, what, it's Argyle. This brings this to a close. He goes, man, if this is your idea of Christmas, I got to be there for New Year's. So <laughs> that's the truth, man. That's the truth. So, hey, last real thing, last bonus thing, Rick, you're going to be involved in this to do. So I played a trick on everybody using Die Hard because I thought, really, could I make could I make people fall for a joke using Die Hard as the premise? So here's what I did. You guys, this is the bonus part, too. So I wrote, so when you write stuff in the intelligence community, stuff, classified cables, you have headers. And I intentionally jacked up some of these headers because I didn't want people to think it was legit, but a lot of people didn't pick it up. Well, that stands for, uh, at the top, if you look across it, that's military uh, time group. It's called the military uh, date and time group. Top secret, sensitive, compartmentalized information, communications intelligence, talent keyhole, which is uh, 
satellites and stuff, and then Five Eyes. That's U.S., uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and the U.K. So I just started. I said, guys, I'm getting some chatter. I need some stuff going on. And I'm putting this into the Peloton Military Vets Group. We got operators in there, special forces people. I thought people were going to call me out. So basically, the, the body is... Top secrets, possible activity isolated to Western states, unsubs, time 12, maybe an operational status, electronic intelligence intercepts indicate imminent actions uh, on the object, on unknown objective. Uh, you know, it's basically, so it's unevaluated intelligence. So now I thought that they were going to call me out on that, but they didn't. So guess what? So I went to the next one. Here we go. Update number two, right? Top secret, no foreign means, no foreign nationals. You can't communicate that to foreign nationals. Top secret. This is where VB, VBIED came from, Steve, and I got called out for it. Finally, you caught me on an acronym that I didn't call out. Intercepted comms indicate unsubs, which are unknown subjects. Unsubs are attempting to steal a commercial vehicle of unknown type, unable to narrow area of interest, believed to be targeting California, Nevada, Arizona, you know, that area there. Again, so unclassified intelligence. So I said, hmm. So I... People, I got people up there. I got people messaging me going, no shit, I'm over in brain. Is this real? Do I got to stay up for this? I'm going, look, I, well, all I can tell you is what I'm getting. So <laughs> number three, um, credible information has been developed that indicates California or Nevada is a potential target for terrorist activity. Several reports of stolen commercial vehicles being tracked, commercial vehicles being tracked. So what do I do? Final two ones, right? Guess what? That Pacific Courier truck, I thought people would get it. I put a picture of the Pacific Courier truck up there. <laughs> bolo, 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 be on the lookout for, right? It has now been confirmed a large commercial vehicle from Pacific Courier is in the possession of the unsubs. Intel indicates Las Vegas or Los Angeles is the intended target. They still didn't do it, so I put the fifth one. Oh, actually, let me see. I'm sorry, fifth one here. Evaluated uh, with high confidence. Yeah, evaluated with high confidence. Here we go. Fifth one, here it is. Alert, alert, alert. Shots fired. Automatic gunfire been detected at Nakatomi Plaza. If you actually search for this on the web, if you go to WSMH19.com, they actually have a link that will still take you to an article to today that still has that on there. So, <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. Shortly after that, wow. you were looking for a job, weren't you? Uh, no, I, I, I was just having fun. So anyway, <laughs> if I was, we kind of went long on this, but that's okay because we're throwing in a lot of stuff. But we want to, first of all, we're coming to the end here. So who do we want to thank? We want to thank our special guests, but we cannot end this, right, without this first, right? Best scene of the whole movie. There's Hans Gruber. There you go. It ain't Christmas, right, till Hans falls off a Nakatomi Plaza, all right? So, hey, Rick, man, thank you for hanging in there. This is our Smurf didn't even know it was a surprise uh, or didn't Absolutely. know what's going on. It was a surprise. Hey, Absolutely. My pleasure, guys. No, it's great man, to be on, and thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to everybody. Yeah, well, and everybody, you guys too. Everybody, Rick, uh, we're just going to be finished here. We're just doing our promo. So anytime you want to punch out Rick, but do that. But, hey, man, man, thank you for your service. Thank you for being on the podcast. Merry Let's Christmas to you. Take care. And, guys, if you ever get out Merry in L.A., if you ever got in LA, make sure you get make a movie worthy of the Oscars because Rick will be cooking for the Oscars. Hopefully, will they be doing it this year? Yeah, they're doing it. All right. All right. They're actually going to hold it. All right. What are you going to make? Do you know what you're going to make already? I have no idea what's on uh, on the menu yet. All right. We'll have, to, we'll have to do a special from the Oscars. We want to do a live stream from the Oscars. We'll put a helmet cam on you, and you can talk with us while you're making and talking to Wolfgang Puck. Okay? Hey, guys, take care. All right. Merry Rick, Christmas. thanks, buddy, man. Merry Christmas, right. pal. Later. For all the great messages coming across here, thank you guys very much for your support. Merry Christmas to all of you. We got any final words of wisdom here? We never have words of wisdom. Oh, yeah, we do. We actually have final words of wisdom right here. Guess what, folks? 
Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. If you want to join the fun, if you want to come in there with us, why? Why do you want to join Game of Crimes? Because we do fun stuff like this. We, uh, let me see, where did the, uh, you know, fun stuff like, there we go. 12-part series on Pablo Escobar. Spoiler alert, he dies. Right, Steve? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. We do our monthly Q&A. Frederick Nicolosi, guys like that, uh, Michelle, all of you guys out there always put uh, a lot of comments in there for us, a lot of questions. We take everybody's comments and questions. We do case of the month, like we said, I just did mine. Murph's got his coming up for January. Monthly live stream, random surprise. Actually, our random surprise, we're going to record actually tomorrow. And we're going to do it on the shit show that has been the parole system that has allowed convicted killers, convicted cop killers, convicted murderers out on parole that should have never been out, right? So we're going to talk about some of those cases, our monthly Bozeness video. And like I said, we got 51 videos and counting. So how do you find us? You simply go right here, patreon.com slash game of crimes. Hey, too, uh, uh, Michelle brought up a good point. We didn't do the narcometer score. Yeah. We don't have to do a narcometer score. We already said it was the greatest Christmas movie of all time. You get 10 and 10? It, well, but actually, I will tell you, though, if we were to break it up into our accuracy, authenticity, and believability, it's irrelevant because it still scores at 15 on the scale of 1 to 10. But let's actually, but you know what? But accuracy, thanks for having Rick on here. We found out. I would say probably oh, yeah. accuracy was probably what? Um 30%, I would say. You know, I'd give it a yeah. three kilos for accuracy three because, low. yeah. Uh, but authenticity, I mean, McLean actually acted like a New York cop, had the ad, had the right attitude. I had a good buddy of mine, Tommy Joyce, uh, former. Actually, we're going to get him on a podcast, too. He used to be a lieutenant with NYPD Cold Case Squad. Um, got the got the right New York attitude and stuff. But um, believability, you know, no. I mean, of course, there would be terrorist attacks. But does it matter? No, it's the greatest Christmas movie of all time. It gets a 15. It gets a 15. That's right. That's right. And and you know what? Maybe the next show we'll bring Dominic Paulfrone on to see what he says about all this New York stuff. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh. oh. We might have to censor his uh, his uh, comments a little bit. <clears throat> Ken Warren Davis. And then guess. And then Nicole. She'll be a patron. Yes. Yes. We love our Patreon folks. Hey guys, but we love doing this too. This is the reason we wanted to do it and give it away for free. Uh, right. We just want you guys to know we put a lot of work into this. We have a lot of fun. We make lots of notes. We bring interesting guests like on this. So this was all fun. You know, we, we want to close out by saying thank you guys very much to all of you who are on Patreon. We want to say thank you very much. We want to wish you a Merry Christmas. To those of you thinking about joining Patreon, guys, you won't be disappointed. We've got great content. Uh, we promise you, you'll always get more than what you pay for. And we'll always have interesting stuff to talk about, even with Murph on there. It's, it's still interesting sometimes. Well, you gotta have a you gotta have one adult in the crowd. We know it's not Morgan. <laughs> but I'm the only one that came dressed appropriately. <laughs> hey, I got a red shirt on. What the hell you want? That's not Santa red. That's shelf, that's know? burnt orange. That's elf on the shelf. He's a spy. It says Christmas there. Come it home sounds for the holidays. We looks, like crusty. looks like crusty. Looks like crusty. Crusty must be from West Virginia. Uh, All right, man. Let me spell it out in sign language for you. Yeah, there you go. All right, final words, Hair Murphy, before we close out. No, seriously, thank you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We've seen the numbers going up and down here during this podcast or during this uh, this review tonight. Live stream, I, I yes. Think, I think this is probably the most people we've ever had on here. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you'll join us in Patreon. But whatever you do, don't give up on us on Game of Crimes. Every week we've got some fantastic guests just like Rick. 
what a great surprise. That was, you know, I don't give I don't give Morgan credit for very much on the show. That was a home run right there. Having that man that just brought a lot of credibility to everything we <laughs> talked about tonight. And Murph uh, did not know until fi- until right when we started. He didn't know at eight o'clock when we started. Yeah, I didn't know until he finally got light on his face who we were talking to. There. <laughs> <laughs> That's like having Dominic on. We couldn't get him up on the screen either. And I know Sherry was on here a little bit, guys. You got to listen next week. Uh, Steve, give him the 30 seconds on Sherry, and then we're going to end tonight. Oh, Sherry's fantastic. One of my best friends, uh, her and her husband, both uh, retired police officers. Um, unbelievable for a Georgia girl that has done extremely well, just wanted to help people. She's done overseas tours. She speaks fluent Spanish, has a little bit of a Georgia accent to it, but that's fine. Not a little um, bit. <laughs> <laughs> but she has the greatest sense of humor. Uh, and wait till you hear what she's doing now. When she told us her story, I, you know, you might want to have some tissues there because uh, the first part of her story I didn't know about, and she is very raw and very honest with us. So you got to tune into this next one. It's going to be fantastic. Love you, Sherry. Yeah, and if you want to see somebody who's overcome adversity, made choices in life, was not a victim of choices, but a victor, and this is something she'll talk about, you got to listen to episode 29 coming out with Sherry Foster. Okay. By the way, Alex, oh, yes, Alex, he can attest to it. It's uh, Warden of the Throne level, but Warden of the North, thats that would be a ripoff of Game of Thrones if we did that, and we haven't ripped off a single thing from Game of Thrones, have we, Steve? Not at all, not at all. Our, hey, our throne is authentic. It came from Molly Dale down in New Zealand, one of our very, very good friends. That's right, and she's a dog fan. Thanks, Go guys. Dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. Okay. All right, everybody. Hey, guys, thank you, everybody who stayed in there. This is us signing off. We will see you. Uh, hey, we'll be on the page. Podcast is coming out. Uh, uh, Trisha Cannon's episode is coming out tomorrow, part two of her three-year investigation on the sex trafficker. you got to listen to that. That's an awesome podcast. Sherry's coming out Monday. And then we've got some surprises for you coming out for the new year as well. And make sure you get your action figure, uh, which is uh, replicates in real life the, the hand action there. <laughs> uh, Beverly said this is the last one that was available. You wouldn't believe if she paid for this. Uh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Okay, guys. We've had fun. Merry Christmas, everybody. We will see you later. 